Amen. Well, good morning, church. You may be seated. How are you guys doing? Good. Good to see you. Well, my name is Rob Chivakoya, and I'm the pastor to the Young Adults here at Covenant Church. And uh, I wanted to start by saying this. I know you guys are not so much, you're not, you're not the responsive type, but if we were a different group, I'd ask you to tap your neighbor and say that this message is for you. Because this message is for you. This message is for you, whether you've been coming to church all your life. This message is for you, just like Nick said, if it's your first time at church, this message is for you. If you're in the overflow and you're downstairs and you think that no one can, we can see you, <laughs> or you're at home live streaming this, this message is for you. I know that because as I was reading this passage of scripture this week, I was reminded over and over again by the Holy Spirit that this message is for me. This message is for me. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, we're in the middle of a series that's about Elijah and Elisha and its ordinary heroes. And we're talking about this theme that whatever we read about, the same God that Elijah worshipped, the same God that was sending Elijah, the same God that was moving in power in Elijah's life is the same God that can move in yours. And so 1 Kings Chapter 18, we're going to read from verse 19. We're going to read from verse 19. It says, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given, given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they, they had made. At noon, Elijah began, began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as, the, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, 
and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two sears of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down from around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things that your command, at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, are, you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to, Kish- to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go, go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There was nothing there. There's nothing here, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servants reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, we thank you for your power that is present in each of our lives, in each of those who call upon the name of your son, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that in this service, the hearts that are far from you, Lord, the hearts that you have prepared to hear this message, Lord, will not turn because of my words, because of your power. Lord, have your way in our lives. We invite you into this space and into our lives every day, every minute. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this message is for you. That was a lot of reading. I probably should have prefaced that with uh, English is my second language. That's always the excuse that I use when there's a lot of reading to do, but as we look at that, the title of my message this, this morning is, If God is God, if the Lord is God, if the Lord is God, we find in this passage of scripture that there's a lot of stuff happening. I mean, there's action, there's a confrontation, there's sarcasm. This is awesome. Amazing story. But all this story, as we read through it, is set up so that God's power would be shown and those that are far from him would turn to him. A point of the story. So we find that if, if the Lord is God, if the Lord is God, the first thing I want to say to you is that then we should follow him. If the Lord is God, then we should follow him fully. 
We find that even in this passage, Elijah is the, he says, I'm the only one of God's prophets left. The other hundred, like, like Bob said last week, man cave. They're off at a men's retreat. He's the only one who's there. And we find that Elijah is the only one in the midst of people who are not following God's commands. In fact, they've dropped the first two out of the ten. One and two, they failed. Worshipping the Lord, the, their God as the only God, and also not bowing down to idols. First two gone. And church, I find that, you know, this extraordinary prophet, this extraordinary man of God, all he is doing is following God and obeying him. That's all he's doing. I'll tell you, the path to rock star Christianity, when everyone is not following Jesus, all you have to do is follow him and obey, and everyone will be like, wow! I find a lot of people say, hey, that guy, he is so spiritual. He is like, he is like the biggest Christian around. I'm like, why? Well, he prays every day. I'd be like, wow, like we should be praying. You should be praying. Oh, they know the Bible. I'd be like, you should know the Bible. No, but they know the verses and, and the chapters. I'm like, you should know them too. You memorize the Phillies roster every year. <laughs> like you should know them too. And we find that in the midst of everyone kind of being lukewarm, you don't even have to be really hot to be hot. Same applies with, uh, with looks in a, in, a, in a young adult group. But the reality, is that, that the reality is that when you look around you and you look at everything around you, 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 don't, have to, you don't have to do all these extraordinary things, just the basics. That's what Elijah's doing. Lord, I am here, I'm available, and I'm obeying you. And we find that he puts forward this message to Israel. He said, hey, listen, everyone gather to Mount Carmel. Let's come, let's meet, and I have a message for you. And he says, hey, I have a statement that I want to read. And he draws near to them. And he says, how long? And we read this, but I think there's a, there's a bit of a pleading in it. How long, guys? How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And there's silence. Church, when we let compromise in, when we let this feeling of wanting to sit on the fence, I remember countless times going to youth group and the pastor saying, there is no fence. I know you want to sit on the fence. I know you want to please your mates at school and be popular. And I know you also want to follow Jesus. But I'm telling you, there's no fence. There's no place where we can compromise and be happy. You're never fully going to be happy in the world because you're saying, ah, I'm a follower of Jesus, and you're never going to be fully happy in church because every time you come, you've just come from this life that is contradicting this one, and then you feel guilty. You're never happy. Elijah says, there's no fence. How long will you continue to compromise? How long will you continue to limp, is the word, between two opinions? You know, church... The word follow there is key in this passage because we're all following someone. We're all followers. I know you're the anomaly and you're like, I'm blazing the trail and I'm, not, I'm doing my own. No, you're following someone, somewhere. And we're all leaders. We're all leading someone. You see, you find in 1 Kings 17 that Ahab took sin lightly. It says that Ahab was the worst. He provoked God. He took sin lightly. And therefore, he led people to idolatry. We're all following someone. 
They were following their king. They were following Ahab. And they chose to not follow God. I found myself in this place. Of, uh, last year we went to this conference and I, and I remember the preacher got up and he said something that kind of left the room like quiet. You could hear a pin drop. He said, hey, I want to start off by saying this. And he said, if you cannot say, follow me as I follow Christ, you have no business in Christian leadership. I mean, it felt like a weight. Because we know what it means to say that out loud. We know there are people watching us. In your home, if you say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, you know what you've said. You've allowed access to those who are watching you to call you out when you're not following Christ. If you say it from the front of the church, follow me as I follow Christ. You've given people access to say, hey, you're not following Christ. And church, we must give people that access. That's why we're in a community. So when we're following, that's why we belong in a church. We're following people who are leading us to Jesus. If you're following me, even though I stumble, even though I fall, even though I sidestep, listen, the ultimate destination must be Jesus. And if it is not Jesus, if it is not leading you to Jesus, please don't follow me. So here's the deal. We're all following someone, and Elijah is speaking to a people that have followed Ahab into idolatry. We find he says, hey, today you must pick. Today we're drawing a line in the sand. You know, a church up. Sometimes skim over stuff like this as though it's not hard. It is very hard. It is very hard to not be liked by people for what you believe. It is very hard. No one wakes up in the morning. Maybe very few people wake up and say, hey, I want to be hated today. There's something in us that wants to please people. We don't want to be the object of people's anger or hatred. We don't. Not for what we love dearly. Not for what we believe. It's hard. We find here, church, that we know that in following God, there's a cost. In, in truly following God, saying that, Lord, I will follow you even if I'm the only one who follows you. I have decided to follow Jesus, right? That's the song. If no one else comes along, still I will follow. And we find ourselves in that place, church. And Elijah here, he's saying this with the threat of death. And I know that if I say this, and I say, I believe the Lord, and I believe God's word, and I believe this is true, and I believe this, and I believe he's leading me to love ferociously, but he's, he's leading me to speak truth. I know there's the risk of being unfriended. Elijah, it's death. There's some people in Muslim countries who still choose Jesus, even though they know that their declaration of truth means that they're going to be excommunicated and never see their families again. People they love. Church, it will cost us something. It will cost us something. And so we must be aware, church, not to fall into deception, not to abandon the, wo the word of God, but to continue to follow God's word. To not be like Ahab, and take sin lightly, but also to not take our eyes off of Jesus. We must be people who, who carry both. We must be a discerning people. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher over in England years ago, said this, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong, it is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Church, there's a lot of almost right. There's a lot of almost right that we read about, there's a lot of almost right that we hear. But right and almost right are different. Truth and almost true are different. 
And so we find here, Elijah confronts this. He confronts this, says, don't have two opinions. Says, draw a line in the sand like in Joshua 24. As for me and my house, choose this day whom you'll serve. I know you all have that thing in your houses. It's in the living room. Your house is not a Christian home unless you have that plaque. As for me and my house. But the reality is this. We must also be a people that live that out. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, whatever that means. I love the hymn, Come Thou Fount. It says this, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I love God, but I am prone to wonder, church, unless I keep my eyes fixed on the Lord. And every time I've wandered into worship, whatever that means, even worship of self, it is because I've abandoned and I've taken my eyes off of God and his word. And I've chosen to go my own way. So church, it is not an easy thing. But we must be aware of this in this story. The question I want to ask you right now is search your heart where there's compromise in your heart and your life. Search your heart. Ask the Lord to search it. Lord, where am I trying to sit on the fence? Where am I trying to please everyone and not trying to please you? Where am I following someone into something that contradicts you, Lord? And we find here, as the story goes on, if God, if the Lord is God, we must put our confidence in God. We find that in the story, Elijah, on this day, he is confident in God. And I say on this day because maybe next week Elijah is not confident in God. But on this day, on Mount Carmel, Elijah's confidence is high. Elijah's like, I know what God has said. God has given him specific instructions. God has given him directions as to where he's going. He's full up. He knows that, listen, this plan is God's plan. And God is God. So you'll come through. His confidence is high because he knows who God is. You know, growing up, I, I was scrawny. Some of you might say you, you still are. I, I don't think I am because I stand on the scale and I see the numbers. But I, I grew up and I, and I was scrawny and... Um, and, and you know, my family nicknamed me, I will not tell you that nickname, but that was like my name was that, ver- like they called me that. That's what they call me still to this day. And I send them pictures of my stomach. But the reality is they used to call me that. And, um, and I remember, um, you know, my brothers told me something because I had lots of brothers and big brothers as well. And they told me, hey, listen, if anyone messes with you, they mess with us. If anyone messes with you, they mess with us. There was a little clause in there that said, but if you started, we're not going. But no one knew that. (laughs) So they told me this, and this produced something in me. It produced a big mouth. I was that scrawny kid who had a big mouth, and I wasn't a Christian, so I would, I would, I would throw out all these things. I had a big mouth. I would just insult people sometimes. Like I said, wasn't a Christian, and involved their mothers. They would get really angry. (laughs) They would get really angry. I'd be like, why is this corny kid causing all this? Who is that kid? And for those who knew my brothers, they would say, hey, leave him alone. You don't want to go there. But not everyone knew. And I remember in high school, there was a guy who had transferred to our school in 11th grade. And there I was because it carried on through us. It carried on until I said, Jesus, you're my savior. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and still then, it still kind of flares up. But the reality is, I was standing, and, and this guy didn't know. And, and I was talking trash and... He took my tie because we wear school uniforms in Zimbabwe and he started to choke me. Now, it wasn't, it wa- I was lying on the ground last night. The only service that went, ah, was last night. <laughs> Everyone, I was like, I think you deserved it. Like, 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 wow. But the reality is, I'm on the ground. He choked me. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. 
but I played it like it was, it was terrible. <laughs> I got in the car with my brother. I looked at her. I said, I, I think I almost died. I know. I saw, <laughs> saw a light flickering, and I don't know. Some, like, this is bad. I, uh, uh. And my brother was like, okay, by the end of day tomorrow, that guy's going to come to you and apologize. I was like, ah, a little smirk on my face. It didn't end well for that guy. It didn't end well for that guy because of who my brothers were. And I, I got to frame that a little bit. He's still alive because I, I left him. <laughs> I leave it there, like, and then my brother's serving time. And it's like, it's a, that's a bad sermon illustration. But no, it didn't end well for him because of who my brothers were. And I had a big mouth because I knew what my backup was like. And the reality is Elijah's confidence in the story is not because of who Elijah is. Your confidence is not because of who you are. Your confidence comes from you know who God is. You know your backup. You know the one who's standing behind you. Can you imagine in the story, Elijah, the prophets of Baal, they're, they're, they're hooking up. Elijah's like, listen, you guys go first. And they go first. And he's like, hey, listen, you guys go for it. And then at about from morning till noon, these guys are singing songs to Baal. Elijah takes a look at the, I don't know, the sundial. He goes, hey, listen, guys. This is five hours I'm never getting back. He starts taunting them. Shout louder. Hey, guys, maybe I, I just imagine how funny that must be. 450 people gathered there, good, chanting. I don't know what the songs they were singing, but they're there. please answer. And this guy's like, hey, guys, wait, 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 wait. Maybe he's traveling. Have you ever considered that? Hey, maybe he's sleeping. Don't bother Baal. Like, your God, I don't even know his deal. Can you imagine that? The confidence in the face of a kill or be killed duel. He's standing there calm. There are two things I can't do when I'm afraid and full of worry. I cannot sleep and Jesus sleeps in a storm because he knows what God says about that. He knows how the story ends. And I can't be funny <laughs> when I'm worried. I certainly can't be sarcastic to the people who could possibly threaten my life. And here's Elijah, folded hands, shouting out instructions to try and get them to access Baal better. You know why? Because he knows that Baal is not a god. He knows Baal's not coming through. Church, in our lives, I can imagine how chaotic that scene must have been. In our lives, it can get pretty chaotic. Amen? It can sound like the enemy is shaking everything around us. It can sound like there's stomping and there's dust and, and we can't see our way. It can sound like we're, we, we, are, we are cornered. It can even feel like there's one of us and 450 of them. But rest easy, God's got it. God's got it because he is God. God has got it. The enemy has already been defeated. And our church, I ask you, what are you facing with trepidation and fear and, and worry? And you're saying, I don't know if God's strong enough. God is strong enough. He's got it. But church, here's another thing. Know God's word. Pray God's word. Last week, Bob shared and he said, hey, listen, pray the promises of God. Pray what's in God's word. Pray that. That is what's powerful. Elijah's words as we see at the beginning of the story, have no, they have no power to transform the hearts that are there. He says, hey, guys, how long will you waver? If God is God, truth, there's silence, no transformation. No one turned away. End of the sermon, everyone went home. No high fives in the lobby for that one. And Elijah, though, 
knows that the power is in God's word to him as to what he was supposed to do to the, the exact specifications of what, of location and how many times he's going to pour water on the offering and how many trenches. He has specifics from God, God's word. Pray God's word. Know what God says about your situation. Don't just guess. Know what he says. What does he say about you being surrounded by the enemy? What does he say about future generations of those who believe in him? What does he say? What does God say about your children? Trust him. I never shared this story here. I shared it tons of times. Young adults, young adults right now are like, oh, this again. But the reality is, <laughs> when I heard Bob say that, I, I instantly knew. I must. I must share this. You know, when I, when, I was, when I was sick, five years ago, I remember I was in a bed. And I, and, and, I, and I remember I opened the Bible. Have you ever opened the Bible to a passage of Scripture that you've read tons of times, and it doesn't quite apply to you? Like, you, you've read this, but, but, but then when you read it and you're in the situation, all of a sudden your attention is, is, is being gripped. I remember I read Psalm 41, and I was laying in my sickbed, and the first line said this, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. And all of a sudden, it, it got my attention. Lord, that's me. I think that's me. My hand's up. I think I consider the poor. Lord, I, I think I, I started this, this organization to consider the poor. That's me. And then I read the next line and it said, in the day of trouble, the Lord delivers them. I said, Lord, deliver me. I'm in trouble. Look at me, Lord. Look at my situation. I'm in trouble. Deliver me. I'm hooked up to a machine that's keeping me alive. Lord, I'm in trouble. And the next line in verse 2, it says, the Lord protects him and keeps him alive. I said, Lord, protect me. Keep me alive. You're talking to me, Lord. And then it said, he is called blessed in the land. I was like, Lord, I, I'm, I'm not there yet, but please, <laughs> I pray that that would, be, that, would be, that would be my life. And it says, you do not give him up to the will of his enemies. I was like, Lord, I have an adversary Satan is after me. I know I have a target on my back because of the nature of what I've decided to do with my life, but I also know I have that target on my back just because I follow you. Lord, my enemy is out to get me. Protect me. And it says, the Lord sustains him on his sickbed. And I'm like, that's exactly where I am. In my sickbed, Lord, sustain me. And it says, in his illness, you restore him to full health. I was like, Lord, I'm in my illness right now. Restore me to full health. Church, those verses, those first three verses of Psalm 41 are a mini biography of my life in the last nine years summed up in three verses. And I prayed those prayers from considering the poor to standing in front of you. I had my five-year transplant appointment, which is a big deal. And they said, Rob, we don't need to see you. We'll see you in a year. You have been restored to full health. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Church, I know that the story doesn't always end like that, right? I'm here, I'm, I'm praising God. Psalm 41, Lord, your word is true. I can stand there and I can testify. For those who are in that situation, go and pray that. Go and st stand on the word of the Lord. Do not give up. Continue to trust that God will sustain you in your sickness. He will restore you to full. Continue to trust. But I also know that God could have taken me. I also know that I could have ended up in heaven. 
And I know sometimes we think when we're over here that when we get to heaven, we're going to storm the gates and go, but I prayed Psalm 41, Lord, and how did I end up here? (laughs) No, you'll be in heaven. When you get to heaven, you're like, what? I'm here. This is so cool. Chick-fil-A is open on a Sunday. I can't believe it. Right? How like I'm I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a millennial myself. I'll be like, okay, what's the Wi-Fi password though? Because I try Yahweh, I try Yahweh without the A and the E. I try everything. But the reality is this, we get to heaven, I'm telling you, we'll be face to face with the God that sustained us, with the God that called us, with the God that loved us, and we'll be looking back, and maybe our family will still be back here, but we'll know that their lives are in God's hands, because we'll be face to face with them. They're okay. I'm okay. God's got this. Either way, God is good. It does not matter what your situation, whatever the lie the enemy has told you, no matter how surrounded you are, wherever you end up, the situation, end of story, period, is God is good. God is good. And so we find Elijah is not panicking in this. He has confidence in God. And then finally, church, if God is God, if the Lord is God, turn your hearts to God. Turn your hearts to God. Let us turn our hearts to God. God sent Elijah into enemy territory. He sent him to a, to a place and a location that favored Baal. He sent him to Baal's area on the border of, of, of Israel and Phoenicia. He sent him right there. Baal's a Phoenician god. Here you go. Home, home court advantage. Here you go. On, on, and, and, and they and said, let's meet on top of the ruins that have been destroyed to an altar to God. Let's meet there. And Elijah continues to, to continue. He continues to make the odds favor the enemy. I'm not woodsy at all, but, but I, I think pouring water on wood that you're hoping will light up is not a good thing. Elijah goes, let's do this. Hey, three times, let's pour these four jars of water on this. During a drought, let us waste this precious water. Because I'm trusting at the end of this it's going to rain as well because God's told me it's going to rain. So he's given up the law. He's given up everything. He's followed God's instructions to the last, to the last little bit. And in verse 37, it says that God did all of this not so that people be like, well, that was cool. Wow. Hey, the fire came down. I was like, do you see that? That was cool. Hey, hey, high five. No. So that people's hearts would be turned to him. Church, if our, in our desperation for God's presence to manifest itself, in our desperation as we pray, God, may your power be shown. Our hope should be first and foremost that hearts are turned to him because of that. The power God shows up, the evidence is that hearts turn to him. Church, today we have diminished what the power of God looks like to good music, and numerous preachers, I've asked people many times, hey, what was powerful about the service that you went to or the conference that you went to? And they're like, well, the music was great. I'd be like, okay, all right, and? And the pastor was funny. Oh, man, he was so funny. <laughs> I'm like, and that was powerful. That was what was powerful about it. Hey, listen, I found out last week that if you, if you want good music on our stuff, it's especially popular, you should get Chicago to come and play. I never heard of them. But if you want good music, get Chicago. And if you want humor, get a comedian. But that doesn't constitute a powerful service. A powerful service, church, 
is evidence in people's hearts turning to him. In fact, I believe that I've been to some services where people have turned their hearts to God, and I was like, the music was terrible. Like the worship leader, I was like, what would they play? They put a banjo, they had a shofar there. I was like, what? When is that? And then the pastor's message was boring. And then he says, hey, if you, if the Lord has spoken to you, I'm like, what? The power of God shows up. The power of God is manifested in the turning of hearts, not in us being entertained or feeling like something happened. And we see that the power of God manifests itself on Mount Carmel in a way that turns the guilty hearts back to God. God diminishes evil. The prophets of Baal are gone. It's gone. Evil's destroyed. And those who have been worshipping Baal, Ahab included, <laughs> as he would, as we find out later that Ahab's heart doesn't always stay like that. But the reality is that there are those who are guilty of worshipping this the, and, and being part of this idolatry. Their hearts, what happens to them? God's power shows up and they fall prostrate on the ground. They're like, Lord, you are God. Their hearts are turned back to him. The power of God is manifested. I'll tell you, church, God, he is amazing. He is powerful. He weighed the odds. He made, it, he made it easy for the enemy. He made it harder for himself. He asked Elijah to do the illogical because the nature of God is to show up in the place that doesn't make sense. And we know that the, the, the logic that, that for us, to be honest, if we, were, if we had a plan to save the world, we would not send a baby to Bethlehem. That's not, that wouldn't be up. We would send an Avenger. We're like, let's send this big guy. Let's, Chris Hemsworth, are you available? Let's go. But God uses the logical carpenter's son. And when the, chi- when the chips are stacked, can you imagine when those prophets got there and they were like, we've got this in the bag. There's 450 of us. We're on home ground advantage. It's just Elijah. They thought it was done. And can you imagine Satan when Jesus was on that cross and he's going, this doesn't make sense. I I think I'm winning. Like Jesus being nailed to a cross. He's beaten. He's done for. The plan is over. Everyone's done. There must have been a party in hell. It's done. The, The son is dead. It doesn't make sense because he made a spectacle of the enemy on Mount Carmel and he made a spectacle of the enemy on Calvary to redeem those that were guilty, you and I, to restore us back to him, to break the shackles of our idolatry of self. He broke it and he calls us his children and he brings us back and he destroys evil. Church, I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe in your life, it's full of compromise. Maybe just that sentence, how long will you limp between two opinions? God's going, look at what I've done for you. I want you to serve me so that I can love you. I want you to serve me because I have loved you. I have already done it. And maybe you're in a place where you haven't heard the gospel. Maybe you haven't heard that Jesus did this for you. Maybe you haven't heard of the price that God gave his son. He gave his son so that you would be restored. You would be redeemed. Say yes. He's calling you in. And maybe church, 
Maybe you've lost your confidence in God because you feel like you're losing. Maybe you feel like, I don't, I don't get this plan, Lord. It looks like water is being poured on wood that is supposed to light up. Maybe that's the season you're in. The season of this wood that, is, that God said will come alive. But all you see is water being poured out. Maybe it's your kids. You be, the more you pray, the further they go away from God. You're like, it doesn't make sense, Lord. But God's power is going to show up where it makes the least sense and he's going to show up and many are going to turn their hearts to him because that's why his power shows up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. Lord, I thank you that you are alive in each and every one of us. Lord, that even when it looks like you're gone, looks like you, you've, you've left us, Lord, you remind us that you're alive in each and every heart, Lord. So as we worship you, as we continue to sing praises to your name, Lord, we celebrate the hearts in this room that have turned back to you, Lord, that were far, but have said yes. Lord, you are God. Therefore, I will follow you. I'll put my trust in you. I'll turn my heart to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.